And there he sat, up front, all alone in the first pew. For those who asked, the ushers confirmed it with a reluctant nod. Yep, that's him. For those who cared but said nothing, they gave themselves away by staring sideways and pretending to be impressed by the nearby stained glass, as if devotees of Cornelius the Centurion or Godfrey of Bouillon instead of a seventy-nine-year-old rider with gout. Rumor had it he might show. His oldest and dearest friend, Charles Henry Topping, was dead. Funeral on Tuesday at St. James on 71st and Madison. Be respectful. Dress appropriately. See you there. Some of the faithful brought books in hopes of getting them signed. A long shot, but who could resist? And by a quarter of eleven, the church was almost full. I myself remember watching friends of my father as they walked down that aisle, while they glimpsed the Slocums and the Coopers, and over there the Inglehards. Hello, by way of regretful grin. A number of these fellow mourners baffled them. Were those sneakers? Was that a necklace or a tattoo? A hairdo or a hat? It seemed death had an unfortunate bride's side. Once seated, all in sundry leafed through the program, good paper, nicely engraved, and gauged the running time in their head, which mercifully lacked a communion. There was a universal thrill for the eulogist, since the man up front was notoriously private, bordering on reclusive. Excitement spread via church-wide mutter. Thumbs composed emails, texts, status updates, tweets. This New York funeral suddenly constituted a chance cultural event, one of those I-was-there moments, so prized in this city, even if you had known the writer from way back, knew him before he was famous and won all those awards, knew him as a strong ocean swimmer and an epic climber of trees, knew his mother and his father, his stepfather, knew his childhood friends, all of whom knew him as Andy or Andrew, rather than the more unknowable A.N. Dyer. All this happened in mid-March, twelve years ago. I recall it being the first warm day of the year, a small relief after months of near-impossible cold. Just a week earlier, the temperature sulked in the teens, the wind chill dragging the brat into newborn territory. Windows rattled in their sashes, and the sky resembled a headfirst plunge onto cement. After a long winter of dying, my father was finally dead. I remember standing up and covering his face like they do in the movies, his bright blue socks poking free from the bottom of the comforter. He always wore socks with his pajamas and never bothered to sleep under the sheets. It was as if his dreams had no right to unmake a bed. I went over and opened both windows, no longer cursing the draft but hoping the cold might shelter his body for a bit. But on the day of his funeral, the city seemed near sweltering. Even if the thermostat within St. James maintained its autumnal chill, the Episcopalian constant of scotch and tweed. Churches are glorified addicts, A.N. Dyer once wrote. But now he resembled a worshiper deep in prayer, head lowered, hands crammed against stomach. His posture reminded me of a comma, its intent not yet determined. People assumed he was upset. Of course he was upset. He and my father were the oldest of friends, born just eleven days apart in the same Manhattan hospital. Growing up, this minor divide seemed important, with Andrew teasing the older Charlie that he was destined to die first. It was just basic actuarial math.
and Andrew would bury his friend and live his remaining numbered days in a glorious, topping-free state. 